Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you here this morning. We are uh, in part eight of our series through the book of Hebrews. And we're in chapter five today. And we're going to take a short break after today and and, uh, enter into a series for Christmas for the month of December. And we'll come back to Hebrews in, in 2024. So put your uh, place marker there. You can read ahead and get ready. But we're going we're to continue next year going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. But today, uh, I would remind you that the theme of this passage is found in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, where we read, This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave Him is greater than their name. So He's greater. Jesus is greater than anything you're facing today. That's the theme of this book. And then in chapter 5, we're going to cover the first 10 verses today of chapter 5. We've entitled this sermon, A Greater Priest. A Greater Priest. And what is a priest? A priest is a mediator, a go-between between between, uh, man and God. Someone who can stand in the middle. And uh, we've heard over these past few weeks, the, the author of Hebrews has been helping us understand how Jesus is the fulfillment of of every type, of every metaphor, of every sacrifice in the Old Testament. How how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And really, the the author of Hebrews is very much interested in letting us see that not only is he the fulfillment, but he's greater than all uh, of those that that we see in the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment. And so so far in the first five chapters, we've learned that he's greater than the angels. He has a greater name than any other name. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater even than the Sabbath. And now today in chapter 5, we'll find out he's greater than Aaron and all of the high priests that came after Aaron. And so he is the great high priest. And as I was thinking about uh, this message today, I was thinking, okay, what does it mean for us to have a go-between, someone who represents us, someone who knows more about something that can help us uh, uh, know something about something else. And I started thinking about how there's this great do-it-yourself movement uh, in America today. So many people learning to do it yourself. And along with that has come uh, YouTube, which gives you all of these how-to uh, videos that you can watch. And so, so uh, this past year, my sons and I put in an above-ground pool in my backyard. And uh, we uh, also built a deck around it. And as we were building the deck around it, like every night I was watching YouTube videos on how to do this, on how to, to, to you know, build the substructure and all this, so that every morning when my sons would show up, I could be like an expert because I was watching all these YouTube videos. But, you know, sometimes we had to do some do-overs because we didn't quite understand something. But, but all in all, I think we saved some money doing it ourselves. But you don't, you don't want to do a, a YouTube how-to and then do, like, heart surgery. I mean, you, you don't want to, like, I watched a YouTube video, so I'm going to do, do a knee replacement on myself. You know, I, I think there's some categories. And, and maybe if you were in a courtroom and you were, you know, your life was on the line or, or, or something, you probably would want to hire an attorney, a mediator to go between you and the judge. And so if it's life and death, it's just something really important, I recommend you get some help. You get a mediator. And that's really what a priest was in the Old Testament. It was someone who could stand before Israel and their God, someone who could represent them 
and make them right with God. It reminds me of what Job in the book of Job was feeling. Uh, he, he was being accused even by his best friends. He couldn't figure out why so many bad things were happening in his life. And it says this in the book of Job, if only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together, the mediator could make God stop beating me and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that in my own strength. He, he just felt like, like, like God was against him. He needed, like, why am I going through such a bad season in my life? I, I wish there was someone between me and God. You ever feel like that? You, you feel like, I feel all alone right here. I, I feel distant from God. I wish there was someone that could represent me, that would understand me, understand what I'm going through, and what the author of Hebrews is telling us. You've got that person. His name is Jesus. He's the great high priest. He's the, the ultimate fulfillment of all of the priestly order of the Old Testament. He's the one to represent us before God. And so in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, the first 10 verses here, he, he talks to these Hebrew background believers and says, Look, all of that, all of that that you learned back here, it was all good, but it all points to its fulfillment in Jesus. And he begins to explain to them why Jesus is the greater high priest, how he's the greatest, he's the fulfillment. And I believe as we study these 10 verses, we'll, we'll find three reasons why Jesus is the greater high priest for us. So let's look at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son today. I have begotten you, as he says also in another place. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. Amen. Let me try that one more time. This is God's word. Hey, okay, we got people in the house. That's good. Somebody to talk to today. All right, here's the first reason why God uh, has appointed Jesus as the greater high priest. It's because he fulfills the personal requirement. He fulfills the personal requirement to be a high priest. We're going to look at the first four verses as we consider this first reason. And notice the first uh, requirement here is that he would be chosen from among men. The, the high priest needs to be human. He needs to come from among men. It was necessary for Jesus to become a man 
in order to represent us. That's the first personal requirement is that he has to be chosen. Verse 5, from among men. As we were leaving chapter 4 last week, those final three verses, 14, 15, and 16. In verse 14, uh, it, it is said that Jesus is the great high priest. He's greater. And then it goes on to describe his sinlessness and that he's able to uh, sympathize with our suffering. And so that's what we saw at the end of chapter 4. But now in chapter 5, he wants to really talk about how Jesus has fulfilled in detail this necessary requirement of being human and, and all that that entails. He's, he's qualified to do the job of a high priest. And so uh, he begins to describe this. Every high priest is chosen from among men to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So that's why Jesus came and became one of us, so that he would understand us and so that he could represent us before God as one of us. And so we see that in verse 1. And then in verse 2, it, it's so that he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Just, just being one that understands our weakness the, one of the qualifications for Aaron and his sons, Aaron was the, the brother of Moses that God appointed to be the first high priest over Israel. And so he, because he was human, hopefully he would deal gently with people who stumbled and, and were uh, ignorant or wayward. He would understand what that felt like. Now that wasn't always the case because we know how humans can be. Sometimes uh, when we see someone that's struggling in the same place we've struggled, uh, we don't show them grace uh, because it reminds, of, reminds us of our own trouble. But Jesus, however, we learned in, in verse 15 last week that he is fully acquainted, that he sympathizes with us. And so he's superior to the human uh, priest in that he knows this weakness, but he definitely deals gently with us. But then notice uh, this verse 3. It says that the high priest is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Now that's, that's true for human priests. It was true for all these priests back here. But it's not true for Jesus because Jesus was sinless. So let's back up and just kind of look at what a high priest has to do. You look back there at verse 1, it says, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So, he, so the high priest was to be busy along with all of the Levite priests that were to help him, busy offering gifts and sacrifices that represented the people towards God. Now, there are these different categories that you consider. This is a, a, a model of the tabernacle in the wilderness, the tent of meeting. And you can see that this enclosure uh, was closed off that only the men of, of Ju uh, that were Jewish men were allowed in here. And so in here, that's the altar. And that's the bronze laver that they would clean uh, the, the offerings with. And then the Holy of Holies. But they would have these categories of offerings and, and sacrifices. Oxen, bulls, cows, sheep, lambs, rams, goats, turtle doves, pigeons, and then even grains. Flour, parched wheat, unleavened breads, cakes, wafers. This place was busy. It was continuously working to represent the people of Israel before God, offering gifts and offerings. Let me just give you one week in the calendar of Israel. Go to the next slide. And so this is uh, the first seven days of Sukkot. Sukkot was the Feast of Tabernacles. And the assignment to the temple 
was such as this. And so on the first day of Sukkot, they were to offer 13 bulls, 2 rams, 14 lambs, and a total of 29 animals. 29 animals were to be sacrificed that the high priest and, and the Levites were to offer. And you can see every day, the first seven days, there was a total of 182 animals that were sacrificed. You know, when Jesus said, Come unto me, ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he was talking about the labor, I think, that was going into trying to be right with God. And may I say, all of these sacrifices, so a high priest had to be qualified and, and follow the book of Leviticus and know exactly how to offer all these animals in order to, to, to make it right with God. But may I say that not one of them made the right with God. It's kind of like when you write a check. It's just on a piece of paper. It has no value. And you sign your name. It's got this code at the bottom, these numbers that show your, your bank and your routing number. And, and, and so basically it's a, it's a trust note that if I give it to you, you're saying I trust you that that money is actually in your bank so that when I present this check, they'll actually give me the money. But if you ever think about it, a check's just a worthless document unless there's a deposit that matches it on the other end. That's who Jesus is. He's the deposit. He made all of those offerings good when He came and offered Himself. This is Jesus. He, he is the great high priest. He fulfills the human aspect. But there might be one troubling detail here as we consider this one here. Did He have to offer sacrifice for Himself? Verse 3, no. But Aaron did. Aaron did. Look at this photo. Pop this photo up of, of uh, one of the high priests. I found this online. And this is something that the, great high, that the high priest had to do on the day of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement when, when they would uh, bring the lamb. This is the only day they were allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, bring the blood of the lamb and, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which was the Ark of the Covenant, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. But he couldn't go in there until he until he sacrificed for himself. And so Aaron was required to, to lay his hands upon a bull right in front of the tabernacle before he could go in, and he had to cut the throat of the bull himself and gather the blood in a bowl. And then he was supposed to pray over, over this and say, God, forgive me of my sins and my transgressions, not only for myself, but for my family. And Lord, make me right with you now as your priest before I go into your tabernacle. And then he would go in with the blood and he would go to uh, the altar of the incense was right in front of the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies and the ark is on the other side of the curtain. He would go to the, to the, to the altar of incense and it had horns on the sides of the table. And he would dip his thumb into the blood and he would anoint the four horns around it. And then he would pray. And he would, he would send up incense that was burning. And then he would pour the rest of the blood out at the foot of the altar of incense. And that was only the beginning of what he had to do on Yom Kippur to get himself right before he could represent the people of Israel with the lamb uh, to carry that into the Holy of Holies. This is what we read about in the book of Leviticus. We can see in Leviticus the instruction to Aaron. It's in Leviticus 16, 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself. 
and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. He had to do that himself. Jesus doesn't have to do that because he's sinless. He's, he's a greater high priest. He's a sinless high priest. He's human. But there is one detail here. Verse 4 says, it speaks of Aaron, that he was uh, appointed by God. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, here's the thing about Aaron. Aaron was the older brother of Moses. He's three years older, it says in, in the Bible. He's three years uh, Moses' elder. And Moses was the one that God called to deliver the people. And, he, and, and God told Moses, I want you to anoint your brother Aaron to be the high priest. And he was to make him these special clothes for the high priest. And he anointed him. And then he said, I want his sons after him to fill that role. And so you had to be a son of Aaron in order to be a high priest. Now, wait a minute. Jesus was ahead in every regard until we get to that one. He's not born to the line of Aaron. Aaron and Moses are in the tribe of Levi. And all the priests were Levites. They were all from that tribe. And you couldn't be a high priest. You had to not only be a Levite, but you had to be from the line of Aaron to be a priest. Wait a minute. Does Jesus miss out on this one aspect? Well, our preacher of Hebrews is not finished. He's getting ready to explain it to us. But as he closes verse 4, he's just reminding us that even Aaron didn't get to choose himself. God chose him through Moses. And so Jesus is a greater high priest. We're going to leave that open until we get to verse 5 and 6, and we'll answer how Jesus fulfills that requirement. In, verse, uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, we see that he makes a, a, a point that Jesus fulfills the human requirement. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. So he became human. He became like us. He became one of us in every respect. And his credentials are superior uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, last week we read this, since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. He's the only one that can pass beyond the veil of heaven. We recognize this credential, this, this superiority. Um, when I was thinking about this, it reminded me of how there, that we, we have personal requirements today. I remember when I was growing up in elementary school and all the way up through 10th grade, and, and probably people in my age group remember this, I can't remember if my kids even had to do this. I don't know if they still do it today. Some of you are teachers or, or work in education. You probably know the answer. But in 1956, President Eisenhower commissioned the Presidential uh, uh, Council on Youth Fitness by executive order. And so he required, I think it was like six exercises that you had to do twice a year. And at the beginning of the year, they would measure your height and your weight, and then they, they would test you on the president's fitness test. And then at the end of the year, they would do it again. And, and it had like pull-ups, sit-ups, uh, this 50-yard this dash, I think it was, this jump you had to do, this, and then there was the 600-yard run and walk. And, and then if you, if you exceeded all of, all of the... Uh, the test requirements, you would get this patch, this medal uh, that you had, you know, the president's fitness test medal. I never got one. I was, I was too scrawny. I, now, that 600, I used to kill on that one, man. I had great endurance, but it was those pull-ups that always got me. Can you picture a little guy? This is like, I was too scrawny in those days. I had, it was a long time. I was a late bloomer. 
So I never did get that. I never qualified. But Jesus has qualified in every regard except this last one. Here's the last one that we have to think about. How does he get around this problem that he's not from the line of Aaron? Jesus is not even from the tribe of Levi. He's born to the tribe of David. He's born to the tribe of Judah, which fulfills his right to the throne as king. But how do we... How do we navigate his credentials that he has a right to be high priest? Well, let's keep reading. If we keep reading verses 5 and 6, we'll come to the second reason that he is a superior high priest. It's because he has a superior priestly pedigree. He has a superior priestly pedigree. The author returns once again to quoting the Old Testament as has been his habit throughout this book. And he quotes, first of all, chapter 2, verse 7 of the book of Psalms. And we see this in verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself. So Aaron didn't exalt himself. Christ didn't either to be made a high priest. But was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. That's a quotation of Psalm 2, 7. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so here's the book of Hebrews saying, that was talking about the Messiah. That was talking about Jesus, that he's been appointed by God. And then he says in verse 6, he also, speaking of God, God also says in another place, and here he's quoting Psalm 110 verse 4. This is a quotation from Psalms 110 verse 4. He says, you are a priest forever after the order of, of Melchizedek. What? That, I, bet you, I bet you the Jewish background believers in the audience went, we've been wondering about that guy. He just, a, he just flashes like a lightning bolt across the pages of the Bible. And then we never hear from We only hear from him twice in the whole Old Testament. He's over there in Genesis chapter 14, and then this one mention in Psalm 110 verse 4, who is this guy? This Melchizedek. And this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. He fulfills that, that part because he is from a superior pedigree. He has a superior lineage. This Melchizedek, who is this guy? Uh, this is just his name. First of all, Malach in Hebrew means king. Zedek means righteousness. So just his name means king of righteousness. If we go over to the book of Genesis, chapter 14, we see the story that Abram's nephew Lot and family and other members of the people that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah had been captured by these five kings that were led by this one king named Kador Laomer, who, 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 uh, who carried them away. And, and Abram took his servants, and they armed themselves and pursued, and, and God gave them the victory. And they brought all those people back. And so in Genesis chapter 14, we encounter his return. Let me just read that to you. Uh, Genesis 14, 17 through 20. After his return, speaking of Abraham, who was called Abram. This was before he got his new name from God. After his return from the defeat of Kador Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek. Okay, here he comes. King of Salem brought out bread and wine. Just pause there for a second. The king of righteousness, who was the king of Salome, king of Salem, king of peace, he brought out bread and wine. To who? To Abram. There's a lot going on here. 
Oh, by the way, he was the priest of God Most High, so he's a king and he's a priest. And he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abram, and he said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram paid him a tithe. Who is this guy? We don't know. This is awesome. His, he, he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace, the king of Salom, uh, the king of Salem that may be a precursor of Jerusalem. Uh, he shows up, and, but he's also the priest of God Most High, and he brings forth bread and wine like a precursor to the Lord's Supper or to the Passover. It, it's all so beautiful. Some suggest that perhaps Melchizedek was a Christophany, uh, an Old Testament appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Perhaps it was. Or perhaps it's just, an, it's just imagery that, um, that the author of Hebrews wants to pick up and say, no, it was always meant for Jesus to be both the priest and the sacrifice. He predates the type. The type was Aaron and his sons, but Jesus was always the deposit always the one who would fulfill it all. And so Melchizedek flashes onto the pages of the Bible. He, and, and later in the book of Hebrews, it talks more about him that without beginning or end, he's a priest forever. See, all those sons of Aaron, they died, and they had to keep being replaced. But Jesus is a priest forever. He passes through the heavens and stands into the real place, not the type, which is the tabernacle. He's got a better pedigree. He's got a better... Uh, uh, he's got a better, uh, if you, resume. It says in Hebrews chapter 8, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So the New Testament is the new covenant. And Jesus is the high priest of the new covenant, which is a far better covenant with far better promises. He's the forever priest. It says in uh, 1 Timothy, not only is he for the, the forever priest, he's the only priest, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's got a better resume. He, he comes from a, from a better pedigree that predates the Aaronic, the Aaron priesthood. He's from the line of Melchizedek. He's um, from the king of righteousness line, from the king of peace line. That's where he comes from. Now, if, if you apply for a job, there's a lot of jobs that require that you have letters at the end of your name. You've got, you got to have MD or, or PhD or some other uh, couple of letters. I used to work for a drugstore chain. Uh, right after I got out of college, I worked for the Jack Eckerd Corporation for 12 years. I ran drugstores. That's how I ended up in Wilson, North Carolina. They transferred me down here. I thought they did, but it turned out God did. I mean, that's how I ended up down here. I got transferred down here from Roanoke, Virginia. And so I ran drugstores for 12 years. One of the things I had to do is recruit pharmacists. Now, pharmacists have to have letters after their name. They have to go to pharmacy school, and then they have to pass a test and be licensed in the state that they work in. So they have to be licensed in the state of North Carolina. So every month I used to drive to Chapel Hill where the pharmacy board would meet and people would be moving to North Carolina from other states. And they would have to 
to uh, get a license in North Carolina. For most states, they were called reciprocating states. They didn't have to take the test over again. They could reciprocate their license, but they still had to appear before the Board of Pharmacy, and the Board of Pharmacy had to make sure they had the right letters after their name and that they had a license. And so I used to sit in the back of the room every, every month along with, I'd be sitting there with CVS and, and Walgreens and all these other district managers from their pharmacies, and we would all be sitting there with their notebooks, and somebody would stand up, and they, each, each pharmacist had to stand before the board, and the board's up on this elevated kind of platform, and say where they were from, where they went to school, where they got their pharmacy degree, where they'd been practicing. How, they, the board just asked them all kind of questions. And then they would say, well, where do you plan on moving? And, and I was listening for a, somewhere in eastern North Carolina. If they said they were moving somewhere to eastern North Carolina, I'd write their name down. Because as soon as it was over, I'd be standing outside. Hey, hey, I'm Gary Combs with Eckerd Drugs. And, and I'd try to beat CVS to talking to them, right? But I had to, first of all, make sure they had the right pedigree. They had the right letters after their name. They had to have a license in the state of North Carolina before. You couldn't just put anybody back there with a lab coat on. They have to actually be a pharmacist before you can put them back there. And Jesus, he doesn't have PhD after his name. He doesn't have MD after his name. He got six letters after his name. C-H-R-I-S-T. The Anointed One. The Christos. The Messiah. The Son of God. He's got the right pedigree. He's got a higher and greater resume. He's the only one that can stand between us and the Father and represent and understand us and understand the Father's heart at the same time. Well, this leads us to the third, to the third reason that he's a greater priest. It's because he offers a more perfect sacrifice. We're at verse 7 through 10 now. We're going to unpack those verses now. Verses 7 through 10. Look at verse 9. Circle the word perfect. See the word perfect there? He offered a perfect sacrifice. What was his sacrifice? Himself. He offered himself. No high priest ever offered that. He was both the high priest and the Lamb of God that John the Baptist proclaimed as he saw him coming to the River Jordan. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now let's look at verse 7. It begins with sort of a strange phrase, strange to our ears, in the days of his flesh. That's what we're doing right now. This is the days of our flesh. We're living in the days of our flesh. In other words, the days where we've got these bodies that are running down and will eventually die. These bodies are not built for eternity. They won't make it. We're thankful, though, that Jesus, uh, in the days of his flesh, was a great priest. But we, we know this. It's just basically saying this was before he was crucified and resurrected and ascended in those days when he was living in human weakness. Now, does he still have a body today? Yes, he does. The Bible says he's the firstborn from among the dead. The, the word firstborn is prototakos. It's where we get the word prototype. 1 John 3, 2 says, We know not yet what we shall be, but when we see him, speaking of Jesus, we shall be like him for you shall see him as he is. We're going to get a body like Christ, a glorified body, fit for heaven. So when we see him, I believe he's, he's perfect in every regard, but I believe he kept some scars. How do I know he did? Because Thomas saw them, and he fell on his, on his face, and he said, my Lord, my God. He said, look, 
Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Put your hand into my side. He still has those like badges of honor. But he's still the God-man. He's still, he's, he's the prototype. He's the firstborn from among the dead. So when it says in the days of the flesh, it's not diminishing the reality that he is still the one that we will see in bodily form, yet in glorified form. Okay, uh, that was a lot, right? Just in those few verses. We could just look at it like this. When he was on earth in those 33 years, okay? Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. What I think this is, now notice he's offering. So he's, he's offering up like a priest. It's using that word offering. He's offering up what? Cries? Loud cries? Tears? This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This must be what we're seeing here. This is him in the garden. He's praying to to him who's able to save, that's his father. He's praying to the father who can save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. That word reverence could be translated submissive uh, reverence. The idea of, of submitting himself. Now why is he crying in the garden? It's the night before his crucifixion. Have you ever contemplated this? Why is he crying out, my God, let this, let this cup pass from me. Why is, he, why is he like great drops of blood just falling from his forehead like sweat and tears? What, what, what's he crying for? Is it because he already knows how he's going to be mocked? How they're going to hit him in the face with their fists and say, prophesy if you're the Messiah. Tell us who hit you. Does he know that? Yeah, he does. He knows that. Is it because he knows he's going to be whipped with the cat of nine tails, one of the most horrific torture methods that the Romans had ever invented that just completely opened up his back even to the bone? Was it because of that? Yeah, he knew about that. He knew. He knew what was coming. He, he wasn't one who was going to the cross without knowing what he was going to. He knew what he was going to. Is that why he was crying? Is that why he was praying and going back out to his disciples and say, couldn't you even wait for one hour and pray with me? I'm all alone. Is that why? Is it because he knew he would, he would be hung on the cross? Perhaps. Was he afraid? Is that, was he afraid of death? Is that why he's crying? Is that why he's offering up tears as, as if they were sacrifices? Perhaps. I think there's, a, there's another reason, though. I think it's the significant reason. This is, my, this is my opinion. I was praying about this this week. I was like, why? He's not afraid of anything. He knows what's coming. What's, what's, he, what's he submitting to the Father in reverence and just saying, okay, not my will, but yours be done? What is it? I think it's because he's never been out of fellowship with the Father for all eternity. And he, he, he only fears one thing, broken fellowship with his Father. It's the only can't imagine that. That's, he can't imagine that because he's never experienced that. So that he cries out from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which was prophesied in Psalm 22.1 that David wrote those very words, that he says it from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think that's why he offered up this offering of tears and prayers, loud cries, because he knew he was about to be separated from the Father. 
I believe that's what was going on. And so he, he submits himself. And although verse 8 says, although he was a son, he's divine, he's the son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. How can he learn anything? How can the, how can the son of God who knew what was in men's hearts, who knows things, how, how could he learn anything? Well, think about it like this. You can learn something from a book. You can learn something from a movie. You can learn something because somebody tells you what they've been through. But you hadn't really learned a thing till you've experienced a thing. Now he knew about the cross. He knew about the beating. He knew about the mocking. He knew what was coming. But he learned. He experienced obedience through suffering. And verse 9 says, and being made perfect. Now, wasn't he always perfect? Yes. Yes. Perfect in character. Perfect in demeanor. Perfect in word. Perfect in deed. Perfect in every regard. Yet, he needed to experience suffering and die as a representative so that he could be perfect as a sacrifice. The word perfect, teleos, in the Greek, uh, it, it could also be translated uh, complete, uh, finished. Which is why I believe from the cross, he says tetelestai in the Greek, which comes from that same Greek uh, root word, uh, it is finished. In other words, uh, paid in full. All of those sacrifices for all those days, for all those years, all those checks written on a future deposit, which are always pointing to me, it is finished. The, the offering is made perfect. I've paid it all. It's finished. And he gave up his spirit because he was finished. He, came, he had done what he came to do. This is our Jesus. This is who we glorify. This is who we lift up. He's our great high priest. He's the go-between, the mediator between God and man. He's the only one who could accomplish this. He suffered in our place. And as a result, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. He became the author. He became uh, the, the only way to have salvation to all who obey him. This speaks of the type of faith we're to have in Him. It's not just faith as a concept or a philosophy, but it's obedient faith that says, I surrender my life to you. Obedient faith. And then he says in verse 10, he, he comes back to the reality of his line, uh, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The word uh, designated in the original Greek, uh, it's a word that comes from the marketplace. Uh, it reminds me again of my former life working in drugstores. Back in those days, you used to put prices on products. You remember when they used to do that? Now we have to look at a UPC label and hope for the best. Like it said it was on sale. You hear this at checkouts all the time. They, there was a sign back there that said it was on sale. Well, it's not coming up in the computer, okay? But we used to put sale stickers on things back in the day. You could be sure. Uh, but that word designated has the idea of to affix a price or value to a thing. 
to, to look at a thing and to, to designate it worthy of this. And so that's the kind of word that is being valued at by God, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. God can choose who he wants to. And he chose Jesus after the order of Melchizedek, who had no beginning and no end, to be the author of eternal salvation and the perfect sacrifice. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that he was a perfect sacrifice. It says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder, the author, the source of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 10. He says, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it up from me, but I lay it down of my own record, uh, accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge, this commission, I have received from my Father. That's why He came. He came to pay in full. He came to, to be a perfect sacrifice. These are the three reasons why Jesus is our one and only mediator, our great high priest. Let us therefore, let us therefore with confidence come close, come near to the Father through Jesus whom we worship on this first day of the week. And we're reminded as we need to be because we are forgetful people of what Jesus has done for us. Over these past few Sundays, I have started a habit of singing to you a little bit, and I thought, well, as I finish up the book of Hebrews, can I think of one more hymn that would fit? And I was thinking of him being the perfect sacrifice, and it reminded me of that song uh, written by a Baptist pastor named, named Robert Lowry. He wrote this in 1876. It still rings true today. Maybe you'll recognize the words. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He shed His blood once for all. And there are no more sacrifices necessary. He has done it all. It is finished. He is our great high priest. Let's talk to Him now. Lord Jesus, I pray for that person that's here today. And they've... They've sensed your presence in their life, but they've never surrendered their life to you. But today they're ready. Today they're ready to come to you and through you to the Father. Is that you, my friend? Would you pray with me right now, right where you're seated? Pray like this. Dear Father, I'm a sinner. I confess my sins. But I believe in your Son, Jesus, that... He died for my sins, that He was raised on the third day, and that He lives today. I invite Him to come into my life. Lord Jesus, would You come into my life right now? Forgive me of my sin. Make me what You want me to be. Clean up my life. Adopt me into Your family. I want to be a child of God. I give my life to You as my Lord and my Savior. I surrender to You. And if you're praying that prayer of faith, believing the Scripture says you will be saved and you'll become a part of the, 
God's family. Others are here today and, and maybe you haven't been feeling close to God. Maybe you've been feeling lonely. Maybe you've been saying no one understands. You're a follower of Jesus, but you feel a distance right now between you and the Father. Would you come near? Would you recognize that Jesus paid it all? There's nothing left for you to pay. Come near. Lord Jesus, would you draw me near to the Father right now afresh? Would, would you cause me to be able to hear from, from Him now? Holy Spirit, would you press in so that I might hear your voice? I know you understand. I trust you. Help me. As I come to the throne of grace right now in my time of need, would you help me? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.